0: Good morning, church family. How are we doing today? Good, good. You know, you guys are lucky. First service is the guinea pigs. I get to figure out all the kinks and all that in the sermon. I'm I'm joking. That's terrible. You know, it's great to be back with you guys after two weeks being out of the pulpit with Pastor Gino preaching two weeks ago and Pastor Spencer preaching last week. Most of my time today is going to be spent cleaning up all the heresy that they taught over the last two weeks. So, I'm kidding. They did an awesome job. They did great. I'm thankful for them. And, and he's back there still, honey. Yeah, you did good. Uh, no, no, it's, uh, they did a wonderful job teaching over the last couple of weeks. They handled Scripture faithfully, and I'm thankful for the job that they did. I was really uh, having a good time. I was last week hanging out in one of the kids' class, playing with some of your kids and uh, laughing with them, learning more about Jesus with them, watching them sing and worship when you see... You know, a room full of probably 30-ish kids who are all singing, you are good, good. It's just, it, it it blesses your soul to watch the kids sing in that way. And uh, the other thing I loved was getting down on the ground with those kids. And uh, when it was time to do memory verse, start learning it and reading it. And the the girls that were right there, I started reading it. And they started saying it without reading it. And I was like, you guys already know this. And they're like, yeah, we read this every week. And I'm like... Awesome. They, so your kids are learning scripture, getting the word of God put in their hearts. And we don't just entertain and do childcare over there where it's just like, let's just keep them entertained and occupied. We're sowing seeds of the word of God into their hearts. So it was also awesome to see our, our awesome children workers um, doing their thing and serving you. So when you go pick up your kids today and, and anytime you see a kid's worker, they're running around in those yellow shirts. Just thank them for what they're doing, serving our kids. They're doing a wonderful job. Um, One other really quick thing I know, uh, I want to encourage our church family to continue to pray about what's going on in the world. Obviously, specifically Ukraine and Russia, continue to pray. You make a difference when you pray. A lot of people are asking a lot of times, you know, what else can we do? Is there anything else we can be doing? I have a friend who is a mentor of mine who runs a chaplain organization out of Georgia that ordains and trains and equips chaplains, sends them out all over the world. And there's a guy in their organization who actually spent 17 years of his life when he was younger in Russia and in Ukraine. And because of that, uh, he's incredibly fluent in languages And they sent him over there uh, one week into the current issues over there. And he is currently in the hospital in Lviv sharing the gospel with people there who have been through extreme trauma. And so, one, be praying for him, be praying for his wife and his two kids who are back home in South Carolina. Um, Pray for his protection. But also, since he's there, he's not doing his work stateside, which means he's not getting his paychecks. And so if it's on your heart to give towards that, um, towards helping, he's doing gospel work. He's telling people about Jesus. And not only that, he's also training people, uh, training seven other Ukrainians to be doing gospel chaplain work uh, after he leaves. And so if you want to give towards that, towards his family and towards that mission of what they're doing, uh, you can in the online giving hit the drop down and you'll see one of them says Ukraine chaplain. And another way you can give is obviously with the offering envelopes at the kiosk out by the main exit. Um, you can just write Ukraine chaplain on there if you want to. This is a great cause to give towards someone sharing the gospel, telling people about Jesus Christ in the midst of what they're going through. It's a good thing. Amen. Amen. Having said that, we're continuing on. Today is a new series portion of what we are uh, navigating through. If you're new here, if you're a visitor or relatively new, we're doing something called the Year of the Bible, where we're taking 2022 to walk through Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, zoning, or zooming in on all the uh, primary elements of the redemptive story of Scripture, the thread, the meta narrative of Scripture of what Jesus has done all of the Bible leading up to um, revealing Jesus or explaining Jesus. And so today we're looking um, in our reading this last week. We have a reading plan if you haven't been with us where we're reading throughout the week. And then uh, many of our community groups are discussing throughout the week what they read. And then we come together on Sunday and we preach and teach and talk about what we read as well. So if you want to jump in on that with us, after service is over, you can go over to the info desk and grab the reading plan there. And we would love to have you join us on this journey. Uh, You'll start tomorrow on week 13. So grab one of those papers and jump in with us. This last week, we read several chunks out of Deuteronomy. And then we started off the first four chapters of Joshua. And as we consider Deuteronomy and what the purposes of this book, we can see the heartbeat of Deuteronomy once again is to call the nation of Israel to be different than all other peoples of the earth, but not only different from the from the other nations, but also to be different from their parents. The generation before them who were rebellious, who were disobedient, who got hard-hearted and became grumblers and complainers and doubted God. Moses, one more time, He's got the people led all the way up to the Jordan River, the edge of the promised land. And Moses knows, God told me since I disobeyed him that time and didn't, he said, didn't keep him holy by speaking to the rock commanding water to come out of it, but instead disobeyed and struck the rock again to have water come out of it. God was not going to permit him to enter into the promised land. He would let him see it with his eyes, but not to enter. So Moses is at this point where he's at the edge of the promised land. He knows that it's time for the new generation to go into the promised land, which means he also knows it's time for him to die. And so knowing he's about to die, he gives us Deuteronomy as a reminder of, hey guys, don't forget. I know we've said this tons of times, but don't forget the Lord, your God, who delivered you out of slavery, out of oppression in Egypt And don't forget everything he's done, all the ways that he's provided for us, giving us manna and water and quail in the desert. We see they spent one year at Mount Sinai where God made covenant with Israel to be his people. We saw that he called them to be a nation of priests to the world. A holy nation, meaning a, different, a nation that looks completely different from all other nations in the way that they carry themselves, they, the things that they do, the things they abstain from. They were to be a holy nation. But also we saw because of their own sinful disobedience and unbelief, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. That that generation, like Moses, was a generation that wasn't going to be permitted to enter into the promised land. Why? Because they forgot everything God had done. And because of that, Doubted and grumbled and complained and sinned, and they were not permitted in. They arrived at the Jordan River, the edge of the promised land, and Moses gives this final speech that is Deuteronomy to this next generation who's going to actually go in and inherit the promised land, knowing he's about to die And knowing how much he's seen the people of Israel botch what has been done for them by God, completely forget the commands that he said. In fact, we can remember the multiple times where they're given the law and God says, don't do this and do do this. And they're like, you got it, God. We're going to do every word, everything you've said. We're going to do it. And it's like two pages later that they have made the golden calf to worship. And so they're really bad at this whole remembering thing. Moses, seeing all of that, knowing he's about to die, gives Deuteronomy to say, guys, one last time, before I check out of here, let me remind you to remember everything that God has done, everything God has spoken, and everything that God is. Remember who he is, what he's done, and what he has spoken is essentially the thrust of Deuteronomy. And it's broken into three sections of this speech, which Spencer mentioned last week. He did a great job with that. The first section of Moses' speech, he recounts the Ten Commandments, and he dictates what would become known as the Shema. That's what Spencer taught us last week. The famous passage that Jesus also quotes when he's asked what's the greatest commandment, he says it's here, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. That Shema, you'll have no other gods before me, that him him commanding complete faithfulness to him, complete fidelity. In fact, I love the way Spencer worded it last week when he said, um, he said, exclusive and all inclusive, that we are to be exclusively gods and all inclusive, meaning all that we are, all that we have, all that we possess, every bit of our being belongs to God. And God alone, exclusively and all inclusively, follow, serve, love, and worship God. The second section of Deuteronomy, second section of that speech, is a reiteration of and an expounding on many of the laws that had already been given throughout Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. He reiterates those things, expounds on them a little bit, um, many of the festivals and commands that were given in previous books. And then we finally get to the third section of the speech in Deuteronomy, which is Moses' final closing of this book. It is his his farewell, so to speak, where he gives one more plea, one more cry saying, guys, be faithful to the Lord. Remember who he is, what he's done, and what he said, and obey him and serve him. And when you do, he's going to bless you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to lead you and guide you. But if you don't, You're going to experience curse. You're going to experience the sword from other nations. You're going to be um, exiled. You will perish ultimately is what Moses tells them. And so he's giving them one final plea saying, guys, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Choose life that you might live. We see in Exodus chapter 30. With those three sections of the speech, I want to go back to the first section really quick. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, we're going to start today. And I'm going to try and be quick because in first service, I didn't get everywhere I wanted to get because I did a whole lot of rambling. So Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. You shall be careful to do. To do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Check this phrase out right here. And you shall remember. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. That he might humble you. Testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. We see right there Moses drawing the connection that our obedience to God is is fruit from what is in our hearts, that God tests us with these commands, with these things, to see if we actually have love for him in our hearts that leads us to serve and worship and follow and obey. He said, and you shall remember. And then he goes over reciting some more of the things that God has done for the last 40 years. And then... He picks back up. I want to jump here to verse 11. He says, take care lest you forget the Lord your God. So earlier we we see him say, and you shall remember. And now he's saying, take care lest you forget. He said, be careful that you remember the Lord. And now he's saying, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Less when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. He's saying when everything's going really well, when you're prosperous, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord. Anybody been there? I've been there. Where the things are going so well that you just forget the Lord. You forget you need Him. You forget that every moment, every hour, every day, we need Him. And it tends to happen when things are going well. He says, when you're full and when you build good houses and when you're prosperous, lest your heart be lifted up and you forget You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish." because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. I'm going to pause and step into a little side rant caveat a little bit, because these verses sometimes are used to perpetuate, especially in America, what we would call prosperity gospel. If you're unfamiliar with prosperity gospel, I grew up in it, and it's the concept that as long as you follow Jesus, and as long as you have enough faith, and as long as you give enough money, and as long as you confess it enough, then you will never be sick and you will always be rich. And if you are not rich and if you are sick, it is because you didn't have enough faith or you didn't confess enough verses or you didn't give enough money or or you got out of the will of God, or you're disobedient. Those are the only reasons that those things happen, which is ironically the same exact things that Job's friends preached to him when he was suffering. They said, Job, it's obvious you're going through this stuff because of sin in your life. If you'll repent of your sin, then God will restore your blessings. And Job's like, no, actually I'm not. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm gonna continue to serve him and worship him. And then at the end of the book of Job, God rebukes Job's friends for the things that they said. These friends were saying, it's obvious that you're going through this suffering because of sin in your life. And Job's like, nope. And God rebukes Job's friends and says, you need to pray for them because they have spoke wrongly about me. That's prosperity gospel that his friends were preaching to him. And he's like, no. And God rebukes them for it. And so oftentimes today, these verses where it's like, it is the Lord your God who gives you the ability to gain wealth and become prosperous. We'll take that one verse out of context and see, see God gives you the ability to get wealthy and prosperous. And hear me, I'm not saying money is evil. In fact, every single one of us in America compared to the rest of the world, we're all rich. And if you think, I'm sure there's people in this room who have different income levels than you do. And it's easy for us to think that we're poor guys. Listen, we are rich. And that ought to make us a little nervous because scripture shows us it's hard when you have riches to be in the kingdom of God because riches grab your heart. And so we need to be wrestling against that. We need to be careful about that. We need to sincerely heed the words of warning that scripture gives us regarding our riches. In fact, Paul told Timothy one time, he said, I charge you who are rich in this world to be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who freely gives us all things to enjoy. He told his Padawan, so to speak, his little apprentice that We are not to trust in those riches, but in the living God. He calls those riches uncertain. And I think if the last two years has taught us anything, it's that those riches are uncertain. And that we are to trust in God. And I can tell you guys about church services that I've been in where the speaker, the guest speaker says, all right, guys, there's a window open right now an open heaven. And if you'll come and put your check or your cash on the stage right here up front, then I'm going to dance on your money and put my anointing on your money and God's going to cause you to prosper. I'm not joking. I see laughing, Sarah, but I'm not joking. <laughs> this really happened. And the guy would dance on people's checks and on their cash to anoint it so that God would bless their finances. And then we sang songs quoting Deuteronomy saying, I'm blessed in the city, I'm blessed in the field, and the fruit of my body and all that its yield. So money cometh, money cometh to me. For the sake of the gospel, right? (laughs) Money cometh to me. That's a real song that we really sang in church. And we would sit there and we would say, they'd make them stand up and everybody would say, money cometh to me now. Now y'all know what's wrong with me. And that theology is mostly built off of taking verses like these out of the Old Testament, taking them out of their context, and completely neglecting and forgetting the fact that all of the apostles apparently didn't believe prosperity gospel. Because I can take you to Corinthians where Paul said, I've been beaten this many times, shipwrecked this many times. I've been poor. I've been destitute. I've been, shipped, uh, I've been stranded, uh, beaten with rods, all these things. So it's apparently he didn't know the prosperity gospel. In fact, uh, Spencer reminded us last week that out of the 12 disciples, there was the one deserter, the betrayer Judas. The other 11, 10 of them died martyrs deaths. Brutal, painful deaths. And the one who didn't was exiled on the prison island of Patmos. Sounds really nice and rosy and comfy. And in fact, if you follow church history, you'll see for thousands of years since the resurrection of Christ till today, people have been dying for Jesus Christ. And I remember a few years ago, you probably remember seeing people in the Middle East kneeling in front of the ocean as they were decapitated for their faith in Christ. And are we going to say, oh, they didn't have enough faith? No, actually, I think they have more faith than all of us. Which is why they could sit there singing praise to God while they're about to be decapitated. And in America, it's so easy for us. It, also, if you see in church history, there was the, the Emperor Constantine, who was the first ever to make Christianity the state faith. It was the endorsed religion of the day and of the region. And because of that, Christianity began coming watered down and wishy-washy. It was the cool thing to do. And because of that, you're, you didn't have to put your neck out for your faith. And so everybody became a Christian. And that sounds a whole lot like when I was learning church history and I learned about what the church was like after Constantine made Christianity the religion of the state. It just made me think like, man, this is a whole lot like America. Now, the tides seem to be turning, and we need to be ready now to stand steadfast in our faith. But I abhor this idea. I have seen people lose faith in God because a preacher told them that as long as you give enough and confess enough and you have enough faith then you should always be healed and you should always have prosperity and riches. And I've seen people lose faith in God because they did X, Y, Z, following this prosperity gospel formula that didn't come through to them and it makes them wonder, where was God? He must not exist. He must not be real. But if you read through the New Testament... And you see what the apostles went through, what the early church went through, when you look through church history, and your gospel is not about what we get here and now in this life, but we, it's about us being reconciled to God, and our hope is in the next life. Then it gives you endurance, it gives you hope, it gives you joy, it gives you comfort. We know the comforter of the Holy Spirit. And we hope that we have good times. We hope for prosperity. And I know I have seen many, many, many godly people that are very prosperous. Again, I'll say all of us are, that use their money, their resources for the kingdom of God and expanding the reach of the gospel. And hopefully all of us do that. Hopefully all of us are compelled to live that way with how profoundly blessed we are in the country that we live in. But it's all too easy for us to just go, me, 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 mine, 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 Okay, that's not the point of the sermon, but I'm a little scarred, okay? The point of what we have just read is we must remember who God is, what God has said, and what God has done. We must remember, it's imperative. You, You can't be a faithful believer if you're gonna forget who God is, what God has said, and what God has done. Those are paramount to our success of faithfully following Jesus. We can remember as we went back to Exodus where there were the, the uh, you know, Moses was going before Pharaoh saying, let my people go. And then there were the plagues. And each of the plagues and all that God did, he said, so that you will know, Moses, so that you will know, Pharaoh, so that you will know, Israel, so that you will know, Egypt, so that all the peoples of the earth will know that I am, Am the Lord. And so we see this setting up in the opening books of the Torah, the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We see in the opening books, God setting out and revealing who he is, saying that you will know. God wants us to know who he is. He wants us to know his character. He wants us to know what matters to him. He wants us to know what he cares about, what he's passionate about. He wants us to know what he loves. He wants us to know what he hates. So that you will know. And then as these books continue on, as the narrative continues, it starts turning into so that you will remember lest you forget. And so there's two people here today, two people online. All of us are one of two people. Either you're relatively new to knowledge of God. You're relatively new to the faith and to scripture. Maybe you're not even a believer yet. And today for you in days like this are the days where you are learning who God is through his word. And if that's not you, say that you've already learned and already know these things, albeit it's going to take the rest of our lives an eternity to learn who God is. If that's you, you're learning. If it's you that you already have learned many of these things, we tend to stumble into the same exact error that the Israelites did of thinking, okay, I learned it, I got it, I get it, I know, I know who you are, I know what you're about, I know what you've commanded us to do. And just like the Israelites, we are prone to forget. And that's why we see Moses telling the Israelites over and over and over, hey guys, observe the Passover, do it every year that you will remember that the Lord your God led you out of Egypt. Hey, in fact, do this other festival so that you'll remember this. And hey, when you go in here in this land and God does something for you, set up 12 stones so that you will remember. And when your kids ask you, hey, dad, why do we do this? You'll say, son, we do this because the Lord reminded us or because the Lord delivered us or the Lord provided for us or the Lord saved us. We do this to remind ourselves. One of the things that we do often in church, we'll do it, I believe, next week's the first first Sunday of the next month, right? We'll do communion. Why do we observe communion? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me why why do we need communion because we are prone to forget we need to be reminded because we're prone to forget see all the unbelief the doubt the grumbling complaining the sin the disobedience all ungodliness in our life as believers comes from forgetting forgetting who God is his holiness his perfection his righteousness his justice his wrath his mercy if we forget who God is we step in stray and wander into sin if we forget what he has done then we struggle in where we are in our suffering if we forget what he has said we will stray and wander And so we need to remind ourselves, let's think about this, a few examples of when we worry in our lives. We know we're not supposed to worry. So there, we know. So don't do it, okay? (laughs) Oh, not so simple, huh? What happens when we're worrying? When we're worrying, we are forgetting what Jesus said in Matthew 6 where he says, why do you worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear? There's not a sparrow that falls to the ground without your father knowing. There's not a lily in the field. It's here today and gone tomorrow, and God has made it so beautiful. If God cares so for the sparrows and for the lilies that are here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he care for you, his children? Therefore, do not worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek him, put him first, and all these things will be added unto you. We worry when we forget that. Worry is a byproduct of forgetting that your heavenly Father knows you have need of these things. It's Matthew 6. We become proud, haughty, and arrogant, prideful, which God hates. When we forget that God is the one who made us, designed us, gifted us, sustains us, forgives us, equips us, and empowers us. I think I'm pretty awesome. And that's sin. It's called pride. God hates it. Every single Sunday when I get up here, I am tempted to try to impress you guys. That sin that I have to wrestle every single week because I want to be about myself. And if I forget that I was made for God's glory, I'll look at myself and start going, I smell pretty good. I'm awesome. Hey, you guys come tell me how great I am. This is what happened to Lucifer. He said, I will exalt myself above the stars of the most high. And God was like, <laughs> Lightning. He fell to the earth. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall to the earth like lightning. God hates pride. And when I forget that the only reason I'm good at teaching the Bible is because God gifted me. When I forget that, I step into pride. And when our loving, faithful, well-intended, encouraging church members come up to me and say, oh, Pastor Stephen, that was such a great sermon. That was such a great message or whatever. You guys are so kind and so gracious to encourage me in such ways. I get to step right into a a battle in that moment. I think about uh, Charles Spurgeon, who one time had a lady come up to him after church and she said, Brother Spurgeon, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. And he said, man, the devil just told me the same thing. I'm letting you guys just know the sinful struggle that I have regularly. I would rather you guys come up to me and say, instead of saying what an incredible sermon, what a powerful sermon or something like that to say, man, what an incredible God, what a faithful God we have. Cause that invites me to go. Isn't he awesome? Now I'm responsible for my own pride. You're not responsible for my pride. All that to say God hates pride, and it happens in our hearts. When we, refer, when we forget that he created us, he sustains us. Hebrews tells us he's upholding all things by the word of his power. Right now, our lungs are, are working because God is sustaining us. Our hearts are beating and pumping blood through our bodies because God is sustaining us. And you might think, well, Pastor Stephen, I've worked hard. I studied and I developed my skills, and absolutely you did. But even the Apostle Paul one time says, I work harder than all of you, yet not I, but Christ in me. Recognize Paul, he's going, I've worked harder on gospel work than any of you. But really, not me, but Christ working in me. That's what we've got to be ready to remind ourselves of when the temptation comes, whether it's pride or lust or greed or whatever it might be, to remind ourselves of the truth. Those things happen when we forget that we were made by God for God, for his glory. Moreover, when we forget his mercy, his love, his forgiveness, we sin when we disobey, or we sin and we disobey when we forget who God is, that he's holy, that he sees all. We sin when when we forget what he has said, the commands he's given us, and when we forget that we will stand before his judgment seat one day to give an account. Moreover, when we forget his mercy and his love, his compassion, his forgiveness, his goodness, his provision, as Roman tells us, it's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. We become casual and passive in our faith, when we forget the body broken for us, the blood shed for us, the sin taken for us, the life given for us. We, we treat the worship gathering passively and casually and indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky, which mark madness game today. When we forget When we forget, we need to remember. We become fearful over current events in our world when we forget God is sovereign. When we forget that he appoints kings and removes kings, Scripture tells us. Proverbs says, The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it whithersoever he desires. We should be praying about everything going on in the world, but we become fearful when we, forgot, we forget that God is sovereign. And, and I would be lying to you if I tried to portray myself as, as if I don't struggle with this. In the last month, I have had fear. Fear. I've had anxiety, and I find when I am exposing myself only to current events in the world and letting that take away time that I would be in the Word of God, when I turn that stuff off and I open my Bible and spend time in my Word where it shows me how sovereign God is, how powerful He is, how good and loving He is, and how He can be trusted, it helps me calm my fears and my worries. Those things come when we forget. We begin bending our knee to the current culture. And we're afraid to take biblical stances when we forget that God is the author of all things. He defines truth, and we'll stand before him one day. Therefore, we should stand for him today. I said that really fast. I'm going to say that one more time. We will stand before him one day. Therefore, we should stand for him today. And when we forget that account, it's what causes us to be afraid of the voices and the pressures of our society. Where people don't want to call sin, sin. Where we're juggling and wrestling with is a woman, a woman, or a man, a man. How do you define it? What, you know, No, it's clear. Come on, guys. But also at the same time, we become self-righteous jerks to people who have different opinions and live in those persuasions when we forget that God forgives the sin of homosexuality the same way he forgives our sins of greed and lust and pride and gossip and gluttony. And we take the ones that have become the scarlet letter of our day and our age, which are sin. But we just sweep under the rug the things that we permit in our lives. Nobody in the church cares about gluttony even though scripture calls it a sin. Nobody cares about greed even though scripture calls it a sin. Nobody cares about gossip even though scripture calls it a sin. Nobody cares about pride even though scripture calls it a sin. So let's be careful not to look at those With this self-righteous, down-the-nose, judgmental, hard-hearted, ooh, I can't. Remember, Jesus calls out the Pharisees for saying, I'm thankful that I'm not like them. And we do that today. We look at that community and we say, I'm thankful I'm not like them. And we forget of how much we have been forgiven We're unforgiving to others. We're unwelcoming to others, unextending of grace to others when we forget how much we have been forgiven of. This is why Ephesians 2, Paul says, hey, we were dead in our trespasses and sins that we once walked in like the rest of the world. We were there. And if we forget that, we become self-righteous Pharisees. See, unbelief, sin, and disobedience all come from forgetting If you already know the truth and you forget the truth, it leads to that unbelief, to that sin, to that disobedience. And I'm running out of time. And there was like four more huge passages I was supposed to read, and maybe I ranted a little bit too long about prosperity gospel, but I hate that junk. So so I'll do this. I want to tell you this. On your own time, if you're taking notes, and if you're not, pull out your phone or something like that to remind you. I want you to read 2 Peter 1, 2 through 15. Because Paul talks, I'm sorry, Peter talks about remembering the truth. And as we remember the truth, it it bears out in the values in our life, in the way that we live. And I'm thinking about Philippians where Paul told the church in Philippi, it's good that I'm reminding you of these things. He said, it's good for you that I'm repeating these things. Because why? We forget. We have Sunday and we're like, I know the truth and I'm going to obey it and follow Jesus and lay down my life for him every day, always. And then we go to sleep Sunday night and we wake up Monday in our flesh, forgetting what we just learned on Sunday, forgetting what we discussed in our community group. This is why we need things to remind us. And for time's sake, I can't go there. um, But as we wrap up and if we were going to go to Exodus 30, we see, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 30, we see where Moses says, I set these things before you, life and death, blessing and cursing, choose life that you might live. And then we see Moses prepares to die. And the interesting thing is he says, (laughs) but I've been with you guys, I know you, and you're going to choose death. (laughs) You're going to forget. You're going to disobey. You're going to stray away from the Lord. Because also part of the purpose of the law was to show us there's something wrong with our heart. And as long as you hear all these commands and you're just trying to go, yeah, I can do that. No, you can't. You can for a week. Until what's in your heart overrules and the wicked, sinful desires of our flesh bring us back to what's in our heart, which is why we need to be born again and be given new hearts by the Holy Spirit of God. But as we continue, we see Moses is getting ready to die and he's like, you guys are going to get... In fact, he starts singing this song. He's like... You guys ain't the children of God no more because you've been tainted and you forgot him. It was different than that and probably way better and probably way more Jewish sounding. But he starts singing this song of testament against them and he goes up on the mountain, he looks out over the promised land and he dies. And God says to Joshua, Hey Joshua, Moses is dead. You're the man now. Lead the people, be strong, be courageous, because I am with you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. Go in and take the land that I've promised to your forefathers. And he goes, he begins taking them in and they get to the Jordan River. It's like, oh snap, how are we gonna get these millions of people across the Jordan River? God's like, well, I'm gonna do that same thing I did with Moses a few chapters earlier, well, a few books ago back in Exodus. The people walk through the Jordan River as on dry ground. And then what, what does God instruct Joshua to do if you did your reading this week? He instructs him to take 12 stones and set them up as a reminder of what God had done. And we see this throughout Scripture, especially the Old Testament, where where God comes through for the people or provides for the people or gives them victory or does some spectacular thing for them, and they then set up stones or set up an Ebenezer, a rock of help, meaning a monument to God's provision, to God's guidance, to God's help, so that they would be reminded. My favorite song of all time is a song called Come Thou Fount. Some of you might know it. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. There's a verse where he says, here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. Saying I raise my Ebenezer, my rock of help, I set up this monument to remind myself I got here by your help. Because what was he saying in in Deuteronomy chapter 8? Lest you think I got here on my own power, by my own might, by my own hand. No. By the power of God, we need to remember. So finally, how can we set up reminders, Ebenezer's, in our own life to keep us reminding ourselves of who God is, what he's done, and what he's spoken so that It encourages us and spurs us on to faithfully following, serving, loving, and worshiping him. A few ways. One is just like in the Old Testament, how they set up festivals of Passover and the festival of the unleavened bread, all these festivals, these holy days, which turns into today what we call holidays. Holiday comes from holy day. We observe Christmas to remind ourselves that God became flesh. And dwelt among us, Emmanuel, God with us. In a couple of weeks, we're going to observe Easter to remind ourselves with this annual feast, this annual Ebenezer of the price that was paid for our sin to reconcile us back to God. Another way is through physical things in our lives. Right now on my finger, there is a physical symbol that I belong to Katie and she belongs to me. This is a reminder to me to be faithful to her. This is also a sign to other people. I'm taken. So what what symbols, what reminders can we put in our lives to remind ourselves that I am his and he is mine? I am taken. Baptism is one of those symbols. What else can we set up in our life? Communion, as I alluded to earlier, we do this in remembrance to remind us so that we don't become just casual, heartless in our faith. Another great Ebenezer or reminder is hiding God's word in your heart, memorizing scripture. If you've got the reading plan, every week you see that there's two memory verses with it. I would challenge you and encourage you, try to memorize those verses. Those are Ebenezers in your heart that you can draw and remind yourself of when you're suffering, when you're challenged, when you're tempted. When you hide God's word in your heart, David himself in the Psalms said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So memorizing scripture. Another reminder is songs that teach us the truth. Be careful because there's some bad theology in popular Christian songs today. Find songs that have good, solid, sound theology and doctrine that teach us the truth. We sing those songs and the melodies help them sink into our hearts and minds where we can recite them. Here's one of the best Ebenezer's, one of the best reminders, one of the best monuments. We're practicing it right now out of Hebrews 10 and 25, where it says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Rather encourage one another, especially as you see the day approaching. Hopefully, we can see the day approaching. If not, pull your head out of the sand. And I don't know if Jesus is coming back this year or 2,000 years. Oh, Pastor Stephen, don't you see what's going on in the world? I do see. And I want to be ready like he's coming back right now. We've been thinking he's coming back for 2,000 years, so I also want to be faithful to continue to build the work of the Lord in case he's not coming back for 2,000 years. We don't know when he's coming back. There's a lot of sign, a lot of evidence, a lot of prophecy, but we still don't know, so we should be faithful right now. Be ready and stay faithful. That's the real message of the book of Revelation. Oh, is the seven horns and is the dragon and is this and is Gog and Magog, Russia. You can get into that and it's not wrong to get into that. But the message is don't be fearful. Don't lose hope. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. Therefore, stay ready and be faithful. That's the message of all eschatology in scripture. I wasn't planning on going there, but there we are. We need weekly gatherings to remind us we're not alone in this. We've got each other. And we have moments of weakness where we need each other. And so we need this thing. And what, one thing that I hate that came out of COVID is, is the idea that uh, this screen will suffice. No, you need face-to-face. And I understand cautions that people have about their health and stuff like that. But you need face-to-face. You need to be able to see other believers. And so if you know someone who is immunocompromised that can't come here or something like that, please make sure that you're trying to be the body of Christ for them and love them and engage them and serve them because we need each other. You're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as we see the day approaching. Amen? My homework for you today is to ask yourself, what are one, two, three, or 20 things that I can initiate in my life to be Ebenezer's or monuments to remind me of who God is, what God has done, and what God has spoken, so that it aids me in following Him, serving Him, worshiping Him, obeying Him faithfully. We all need it. If you think you don't need reminders, you're deceiving yourself. The flesh is weak, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are good and you are faithful. We thank you, Lord, that we have seen so much of who you are from your word. We have seen so much of what you have spoken to your people of the Old Testament, but also to us today. We have seen what you've said. And Lord, we have seen what you've done in the word as well as in our own lives. So God, I ask by the power of your Holy Spirit and by even just practical ways of setting reminders in our lives, whether that's cards on our mirrors or rings on our fingers or reminders on our phones or whatever it might be that you would give us the wisdom to put reminders in front of us that would encourage us when we're suffering when we're weary when we're disheartened that we could remember who you are and what you've done Remember that we're in this world as pilgrims, as sojourners passing through, looking forward to that day where there will be yet no more suffering, no more pain, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more sin. But in this world today where we are in the midst of all of that, we need your Holy Spirit to remind us. And we need Ebenezer's monuments to remind us, habits and routines to remind us. We are prone to wander, prone to stray. Lord, keep us. Only you can keep us. We need your help. Lord, I ask today by your Holy Spirit, if there's anybody in this room, anybody in the commons, anybody watching online, if any of the sisters in the jail that we'll be ministering to tomorrow night, if they don't know you, I ask by your Holy Spirit that you would show them, give them illumination, help them to see the truth of your word, that Jesus Christ is the son of God who died for sin to pay our debt, that we could be forgiven and brought back into your family. Help us, Lord, to repent of our sin, to change the way we think about this life and about this world and about sin, that we could love, serve, follow, worship you faithfully for the rest of our lives, for your purposes and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.